There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday Night Bible Study. We're here to study the book of Daniel. It's been a great study, and we are near the end here. Chapter 12 left off right around verse 2 or 3, but we'll start at the beginning of the chapter by way of review. Um, amazing final chapter of this book. Daniel is a book of history for six chapters and prophecy for six chapters, and this is the final prophecy, chapters 10, 11, and 12. So up to this point, though, if you're Daniel and you love the, your Jewish um, people, which he does, he loves Israel, he loves God, he's gotten almost nothing but bad news about Israel. They were uh, in captivity with, uh, in Babylon for 70 years. He knew from a prophecy in Jeremiah it would only be 70 years. He inquires to the Lord about it. Aren't the 70 years about up? And he finds out the um sort of the being under the thumb of gentile governments is just beginning and it's going to go on for millennia actually so that's what a lot of the prophecies are about so in the midst of all this bad news god leaves him with some great hope in this chapter good news um in this chapter, let's see, I'm just looking at my little uh, summary before we dive in. But yeah, God's telling him the chastening of Israel isn't over yet. The punishment for Israel is because of their unbelief and because of their pagan um, practices that they're ignoring the word of God and ignoring God. Not Daniel, but a lot of others are. So chapter 12 takes off right after chapter 11, obviously, which is talking about the last half of chapter 11, the Antichrist, a coming world leader who will be indwelt by Satan and will take over literally the whole world like no one ever has in human history. Uh, he will be an evil guy. The first three and a half years of his seven years, the Great Tribulation, are a lot better than the second half when he breaks his covenant with Israel and all hell breaks loose kind of thing. So he, God is testing Israel through this. So when you read in chapter 12, verse one, at that time, he means at that time of the end of the great tribulation, the seven year period, it's the 70th week of seven, 70 weeks of years, 77s. There's a big gap between the 69th when Christ shows up 2,000 years ago, it's been almost 2,000 years of a gap now, and then the 70th week will start. Those of you that are here and those of you on Zoom, so I know you're awake, say amen. amen. Oh, that was a good one. All right, and I hear you. I see you waving on, on Zoom. Verse 1, chapter 12. At that time, Michael, that's the archangel. Only two angels are named in the Bible, Michael and Gabriel. Michael, the great prince who protects your people, that's Israel, will arise. He'll stand up is literally how it reads. There will be a time of distress or trouble or tribulation, depending on which translation you have. How bad will it be, Daniel? Such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Translation, the worst period of tribulation or trouble in the history of the world, especially for Israel, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. So time of great trouble, but I'm still in verse one at that time, your people, this is the good news for Daniel, meaning J Jewish folks, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Finally, says Daniel, some good news, right? So he's talking about um, 
your people, meaning Israel, but then he clarifies that the angel does um, not every single Jewish person, but everyone whose name is found written in the book. You say, what book is that? I would argue that there, God keeps really good books, and it involves the record of your life, every single sin, everything you ever thought, did, or said that was against God's will is recorded. Yikes, you say. Amen, right? But there's also the Lamb's book of life, which is Jesus Christ. All who will believe in him, your names, my name, we, our names are written in that role. And under sin for Ken here, it says, forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. He, Christ paid for it. It doesn't say Ken isn't a sinner. It says Ken has been completely forgiven. So they, these Jews that are going to be saved are the ones that will come to know their Messiah is none other than Jesus Christ, the one they missed 2,000 years ago. There'll be a major revival of Israel in the last days when they have nowhere else to look but up. Verse 2, multitudes, many, who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So he's talking about resurrection. Okay, now resurrection, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, there's a whole chapter of the Bible that's all about one thing, resurrection, right, from different angles, okay? Resurrection is in the New Testament a lot. In the Old Testament, there's a smattering of it. This is one of the places where we hear about resurrection. The afterlife is not clearly spelled out in the Old Testament like it is in the New. Verse 2 is good news for some and really bad news for others. I'm fond of saying that the good news for you as believers is this, that the human spirit is eternal, right? And you will live somewhere forever, and your body will rise out of the grave. That's what, it, grave, that's what it's saying. Many who sleep in the dust. He's talking about people that have died in the past. That's the good news. But the bad news is the same thing, that the human spirit is eternal for people that don't believe, they will live somewhere. There are churches that teach annihilationism, meaning Christians go to heaven, bad people die, and they're just annihilated. They don't exist anymore. Not according to the Bible. It's a nice little thought. Not according to the Bible. A mass resurrection. It turns out it comes in two stages. Revelation chapter 20 talks about the two stages. We may go there eventually. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth, verse 2, will awake, meaning graveyards. I drove past the, the cemetery in Oakhurst right on Highway 41. You all know where it is with the little white church and everything. And I couldn't help. I looked at it and you can see some graves, some of them like 1898 kind of thing. I couldn't help but think, Imagine standing there when Christ returns and seeing those that believed coming out of the grave. It turns out stage one, or the first fruits, technically there's three stages. Stage one is Christ, according to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Christ, the first fruits. He's the first one that rose from the dead. You say, no, no, Lazarus rose from the dead. Not technically, no. That was a resuscitation. How do you know that? Because he died again, right? He lived another several years. I don't know how many, and he died again. Same with the uh, other people that Jesus raised from the dead. It's awesome. 
but it's temporary. Not so with this resurrection, it's permanent. Multitudes who sleep in the dust will awake. The believers rise when Christ returns. We won't get into the whole rapture thing tonight. Is it before the tribulation that we rise and get our glorified bodies? Is it in the middle of the tribulation? Is it the end of the tribulation? Most of you know which one of those I believe. I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to try to. But when Christ returns, we uh, who are saved get our resurrection bodies in this order. The, the first fruits are Christ. Then those that have died will rise out of the grave. Okay. One of the questions in the Q&A we're going to do after this study has to do with the body, soul, spirit. And what happens when a believer dies? I'm doing this to keep you awake. Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay. Uh, let's see. Some of them are going to awake to everlasting life. That's the believers. All of the saints of the Old Testament who looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, faithful Jews, will aw awaken and rise, and all Christian believers. But others will re be resurrected at the end of the millennium. I know there's people that believe there's no millennium. Read chapter 20 of Revelation six times. It says a thousand years. Jesus reigning. We reign with him. If that's not literal enough for you, I don't know what is. I believe there's a thousand-year reign of Christ after the return of Christ. At the end of that time, there's a resurrection of the unjust or unbelievers. They come out of the graves and say, oh, no. Jesus was it, right? They come out of the graves to shame and everlasting contempt. And there we come to the idea of hell which I promised you last week, what a, what a way to encourage people to show up. We're going to talk about hell. I say it with a smile. I'm just really no smile at all. It's nothing good at all. So we're going to discuss what that is exactly. Um, this is at the time of the Antichrist. Michael's going to stand up to preserve and protect and defend his people. There's going to be a mass resurrection at the coming of Christ. It's kind of veiled here. Um, Let's see, do we want to go into the whole um, tribulation thing? No, not at this point. I will tell you that um, the prophecies of the Old Testament, I believe it's Zechariah, yeah, 13, says regarding Israel at this time, one third will come to faith and become saved. Two thirds will be judged. Um, sad but true zechariah 13 8 is that we won't go there now um let's see the jews will receive their yeah their messiah so notice that it says many in verse two or multitudes depending on what translation you have it's not everybody that rises um at the first resurrection uh, which is what revelation 20 calls it okay so after the tribulation there's a resurrection we're going to talk about exactly what that is. Isaiah prophesied it, that bodies would rise, Isaiah 26. Hosea talked about it, chapter 13. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will, I will redeem them from death. David talked about it. My flesh shall rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. It's even a pr prediction about Christ there. 
Um, we already talked about the two parts of the resurrection. Okay, let's talk about hell. And I don't say this lightly um, because it's very serious. Every person in this room and on Zoom, I'm betting, knows somebody, a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody you go to school with that doesn't believe. This is their future, apart from a work of grace and them coming to faith. Hell is described in the Bible as everlasting contempt. The same word in Hebrew and Greek for everlasting is the same word for what we have, everlasting life. If our life is eternal, you can't say hell is for 20 years and then they're snuffed out. Everlasting is everlasting. So it's everlasting contempt, uh, not annihilation. We already talked about that. Um, Matthew 25, eternal fire. Now, is the fire literal? I don't think it is. Okay, there's a lot of people to do because it's also called outer darkness. One thing you know about fire is if we light a big fire in here, it's not going to be dark in here, right? It may be a metaphor for um, punishment, for burning up with the judgment of their own sins on their own heads. It is eternal fire. It's unquenchable fire, Matthew 3. There's the eternality again. It's shame and everlasting contempt here. It's everlasting destruction in 2 Thessalonians 1. The smoke of their torment, listen, rises forever and ever. Now, that's Revelation 14, by the way. Before I go on, because this isn't pleasant, let me say, don't look at this and say, yeah, those unbelievers, they're sinners. You'd be right, but so are you. So am I. I'm, I'm like, I was varsity sinning when I was in school. Um, what's the point? The only difference between them and us is we have a savior who paid in our place. And by faith, we receive his gift. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, this would have been our destiny. No way to save yourself, no way to pay for your sin with your own good deeds that would never outweigh your bad deeds. Um, let's see, it, it's called a place of weeping, present tense, ongoing, weeping, gnashing of teeth, um, wailing, outer darkness. Have you ever heard people say, you know what, I'm a partier, and so when I die, I don't want to go to heaven. It sounds boring. I want to party with my friends in hell. I believe I could be wrong on this, Outer darkness to me speaks of solitary confinement, that you are not only in agony, but you're alone and you have forever to remember that you received the, that you've refused, sorry, the free gift of salvation that Christ offered, that you are suffering for the sins that you committed. A place of weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, flames, burning, Remember that God has offered salvation, right? In his son, Jesus Christ. There's a sense, have you ever heard this one? I could never believe in a God that would send people to hell. You ever heard that one? My God is loving, okay? Listen, for those who sin, who refuse the gift of salvation, do they not write their own ticket? right? No, thank you, Jesus. No, thank you, God. Stay out of my life. God says, okay. And so it is absolutely fair, right? God would be unfair to let sin go unpunished. That would violate his nature of being totally fair and just. 
Um, by the way, Revelation 20:10, hell is not, it was originally created for the devil and his angels, demons. People end up there because they refuse salvation because of Adam and Eve's sin. Remember all that and their own sin. Revelation 20:10 says the devil and the Antichrist are thrown into the lake of fire as well. Another name for hell. Um, let's see. At the end of the thousand year reign, there is a second resurrection, resurrection for the unbelievers. They, books are opened and everything single sin they ever commit committed is announced or spoken of, made clear, and that they are being justly sent to where the only place they can be. Remember, heaven is a place where there's no sin, no crying, mourning, pain, sickness. Those people would be uncomfortable around God anyway, if you can imagine them being there. No unclean thing will ever enter it, God says about heaven. So for justice to be meted out, there has to be a mass resurrection, right? Not only for unbelievers, because the commonly said thing in our culture is so-and-so got away with it, right? They stole money from us or they murdered their wife and they got away with it. Maybe it was a football player that murdered his wife in Southern California, for example, and he was found not guilty. He got away with it. Not really, not according to this. Nobody gets away with anything, right? Ultimately. And so there has to be a resurrection to meet out the punishment or for us, the rewards. Rewards are not given on the basis of you are so sinless. You're so good. Rewards are given on the basis of faithful work done. Listen, for God's kingdom, for his glory. Why do you put in the for his glory? Because I always give you the analogy that there's people that work at the church and work for Christianity, and all they're looking for is this. It was all me. I'm doing a lot for the church. I'm giving a lot of money, and God goes, you got your reward in full right there. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. So there's reward for believers, punishment for unbelievers. Um, go back to the text, and uh, let's pick it up in verse 3. Those who are wise, this, these are the believers, will shine like the brightness of the heavens. It's a picture of them almost glowing because of Christ's righteousness put on them. They'll shine like the brightness of the heavens. And listen to this. Those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. We will wear Christ's own glory. How many know that when we're given crowns in heaven for our faithful service, where the saints are seen taking off their crowns, casting them at the feet of Christ, because they realize I would have never done anything had Christ not made me want to do it, changed my heart, given me his Holy Spirit, all of that. Um, so there's great reward. This is the good news at the end of a bunch of bummer news that Daniel's been hearing. Um, They'll shine like the stars forever and ever. He's trying to give them hope. Verse four, but you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Okay, this is one example where I'm not crazy about NIV's translation of this passage. You literally, it reads, you, Daniel, shut up, not shut up your mouth, but shut up the words of this prophecy. They're to be sealed. Okay. 
It doesn't mean conceal it, as I think King James has, like hide it. It, it has the idea of this is the end. Seal it up. We'll get to that in a second, but close it up. This is very similar to the last book of the New Testament, which is Revelation, in the last chapter, a few verses from the end. Do you remember? There's a warning in the book of Revelation that says, if you add to the words of this book, then the plagues that are written in this book are going to come on you. And if you subtract from the words of this book, the same, right? God's serious about every word in his word, the Bible. We are not to add to it or subtract from it. It's not a smorgasbord where you get to pick. I like chapter four, but I, chapter five is not for me. It's all God's word, amen? Some parts are more applicable to our lives or more interesting, but it's all God's word. So this is similar, this verse. Close up, the revelation's done, and seal the words of the scroll. Notice, until the time of the end. Now, what they would do by sealing it is they would literally roll up the scroll. It wouldn't be a book. And they would have wax that they would put on it, hot wax to close it up. And the person that wrote it would have a little stamp that he would put on it that it was authenticating that it is his word here, some sort of a contract or whatever. Daniel would do the same. He's saying, seal it up. There's not going to be any more revelation for you, Daniel. Turns out Jesus gives us way more detail about the end times in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. Look at the books of First and Second Thessalonians. There's a lot of stuff in there. First Corinthians 15. There's other teachings. Of course, the book of Revelation. Huge, way more detail than Daniel got. We said before, all the prophecies are sort of sketches in a way, not full detail uh, color photos. Seal up, close up the Revelation. Seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Meaning, in the end... In the end times, this will make a lot more sense to people, okay? I think it makes a lot more sense to us today than it did to Daniel in his day. Based on the news, we're seeing crazy things happen. And based on the fact we have the New Testament, Daniel did not. With me so far? Okay, watch this. Um, close it up until the time of the end. It's going to make a lot more sense and be a lot more relevant to those people at the end when they see, wow, there's a one world leader. He's requiring that you have a mark on your hand or your forehead. He's um, claiming to be God in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. I got to pull out my dusty Bible and read it again. There might be some good stuff in there. Here's an interesting phrase. Um, verse four, many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Anybody have uh, New American Standard or King James? It, Marita, do you? No? Okay. Oh, nice and loud, Kay, and then I'll repeat it for the Zoom audience. Yes. Oh, just the last sentence. Many will go, is it to and fro? Many will go back and forth or to, to and fro and knowledge will increase. Now, he's talking about the times of the end, right? This is about 2,500 years ago, this was being written. About 550 years before the time of Christ, before the time he was born. Some have said, and they might be right as a secondary meaning here, that when it says many will go back and forth or to and fro, that that's a prediction about the fact that in the end times, which we may well be living in, amen, 
that suddenly travel on the earth will become crazy in its scope. In other words, in the day this is being written, if you wanted to go from Chicago, if you wanted to go from San Francisco to Los Angeles, you would plan on going on foot and taking several days, if not a week or not longer to get there. Now you can drive in a car, you can get on a plane, it's like 48 minutes kind of thing, right? To and fro on the earth, planes, jets, rockets, the internet, cars, um, supersonic, all that stuff. Is that what it means? The primary meaning and the answer is no. And knowledge will increase. I've also heard this is computers, TV. Think uh, 500 years ago, they'd be shocked that you, we have a device that we carry around with ourselves. It's a little computer and you can see the person and watch videos and hear the person in Australia, if you want to call somebody there and listen to that funny accent. The point is, has knowledge increased? Yes. Might that be a secondary meaning to what's said here? It might, because it is true if we're in the end times and it's closer than it's ever been. Amen. Knowledge has greatly increased travel. People are going to and fro. But the to and fro thing is quoted elsewhere in the Old Testament, and it has to do with someone who is searching frantically. Okay, and they're going to and fro searching for answers frantically because all hell's breaking loose on the earth. Don't forget that the tribulation time of seven years, really the last half is the worst half, three and a half years, is a time when two things are happening. Antichrist is persecuting Christians and Jews, and God is raining his wrath down on the earth to wake people up, basically. That's the short version, okay? Um, a lot other things, uh, other things are happening, but men will go to and fro. Some scholars think this even means to and fro in the Bible, flipping pages, going back to Revelation, over to Daniel, now to Ezekiel, now to 1 Corinthians, and they'll be searching frantically, and knowledge will increase. You mean knowledge like computers? No, I mean biblical knowledge. Remember, the context is Michael, who protects your people, the Jews. The theory is, most commentators said, the Jews will suddenly, the light bulbs will start to go on. Messiah, Old Testament, Isaiah, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, pierced his hands and his feet, um, betrayed by a close friend who dips his bread in the it's Jesus, right? You and I go, well, duh. For Jews, this is an abhorrent thing. Don't even mention that name, rabbis say to Christians sometimes, that knowledge will increase. God is going to pour out his spirit on Israel in such a way that knowledge will increase, and they'll go through the book, and they'll see Christ on every page, okay? Um, verse 5, then I, Daniel, looked and there before me stood two others. One is on this bank of the river, one on this bank of the river, and one on the opposite bank. So there's been an angel or somebody heavenly talking to him. We talked about this in chapter 11. The guy talking to him is dressed, according to chapter 10, very, very, very similarly to Jesus Christ in chapter 1 of Revelation with 
um, legs of bronze and eyes of fire and um, a golden sash. And I won't go into all that detail. We did that two weeks ago. Some scholars think that it's Christ himself before the manger, not the person Jesus Christ, the man that was born 2000 years ago, but the second person of the Trinity, the son of God, the logos, the word. We're going to do John starting next week. Tell somebody to join us. Anyway, a little plug. Some people think this is Christ. Okay. Some people think it's just a mighty angel that's giving him this revelation. Either way, suddenly two more figures show up. In chapter 10, he's standing at the banks of the Tigris River. That's where he still is. That's where he got all this vision that we've been seeing. Now, there are two more guys. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me were two others. These are angels, one on this bank of the river, one on the opposite bank. So now we got three individuals. It's either three angels or two angels and a theophany or Christophany, a, a, an appearance of Christ before the manger. Do they happen? Absolutely, in the Old Testament. So now there's three. There's the principle in Deuteronomy and elsewhere in the Old Testament and the New, where every matter had to be not only in a court of law, but scripturally confirmed by, listen, two or three witnesses. Okay. He's got the one guy talking. Now there's three. So we don't have two. We have three witnesses to what's going on. So they appear on the river, one of uh, on each side of the river. And we're going to find an interesting thing about where the guy talking, whether it's Christ or an angel, we're not sure, is. Watch. Verse six, one of them said to the man clothed in linen. That was the garment of the priests, by the way. Some people say that's another evidence it was Christ, who was, look, above the waters of the river, okay? So the angel that's been speaking, there's an angel on the left, an angel on the right, and the guy that's been speaking is above the waters. Does that mean he's hovering over the waters? Probably of the river. Does it mean he's walking on the water? Maybe, okay? We'll come back to that. So the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. We've seen that phrase before, haven't we? A time, that's one. Times, that's two more, that's three. And half a time, three and a half years. In this book, we've seen three and a half years written that way. We've seen uh, 1260 days, we've seen 42 months. What does that all mean? Three and a half years, counting 30 day months that the Jews do. He swears, by the way, usually when they swore, they would swear, a Jew would swear raising one hand to heaven, much like we would do if we're in court, right? I've heard, I don't know this is true, but I've heard that the place your hand on the Bible, so help me God, I've heard is out now. They don't, anybody know? I've heard they don't know, we have law enforcement here. Is that true? I believe that's true. They don't make you, so help me God, right? Because we don't want to offend, right? And the Bible isn't there anymore either, right? Don't get me started. Okay, so um, he swears with both hands, almost, usually it's one hand for the Jews, almost like saying, I can't swear, swear that this is true with any more authenticity than this. And he lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. I heard him swear by him who lives forever saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, 
all these things will be completed. Some this is a hard sentence to translate, by the way, but that's the flavor of most of the translations I read. Okay, what's going on here? He's saying that it's going to be for three and a half years. This is, although it's the worst three and a half years in the history of human times on earth, it's really good news. Because imagine if it said this horrible period of tribulation will be 300 years. It's generation after generation, or it'll be 50 years or 10 years, three and a half years. I'm not minimizing it. It's going to be very, very bad, but it's only three and a half years. Who's limiting the time? God, right? God's going to have a stopwatch and go, that's it. You're done. Antichrist, go get him, Jesus. And Jesus comes back to the earth. So what about this last sentence in verse eight, seven? When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, that can't be Christians because we've already been broken. We've already bowed the knee and said, I can't save myself. I receive you as my Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Who's he talking about? The holy people are the Jews. And when they have exhausted every power they had to avoid the truth, a third of them, when it's been, they've been finally broken, that's a good kind of broken, right? All these things will be completed. He's waiting until the Jews come to faith in their Savior. Ken, just a sentence or two, nice and loud, and then I'll, I'll repeat it. Ken has a question. Does that correspond with verse 4? That correspond with verse four? Seal, until the time of the end, many will go here. Yeah, yeah but the part of, of them going here, here and there, or to and fro, and knowledge will increase? Absolutely. That's when their power is broken and they realize we have nowhere to look but up and nowhere to look for a Savior except Jesus Christ, who was the real Jewish Messiah, and they missed him the first time, they'll catch him on this go round, if you will. Um, let's see, verse eight. So that's what's going on there, basically. Verse eight. Now, verse eight, as a guy that teaches the Bible, is really comforting to me. Daniel himself says, I heard, but I did not understand. May I just say, amen. You ever read Revelation and go, what? What is this now? Join the club. We aren't supposed to understand every single thing. What we need to know, God has told us in his word. Amen. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked my Lord, very polite, very uh, respectful, what will the outcome of all this be? Tell me the end of the movie. What happens? He's kind of already told him three and a half years. Many will rise, right? Some will shine like the sun, like the stars. Some will be um, into everlasting contempt, judgment sent to hell. But some will come to believe. So Daniel says, I need more detail. I need to Google this. Not really. What will be the outcome of, of, the, of all this? Verse 9, he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Okay, this isn't the strong rebuke it sounds like, okay? What he's saying is, I'm done talking. You have enough information. Go your way. Continue your life. 
He's, now he's talking about Daniel's life. Go your way. The words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. He doesn't mean the end of Daniel's life. He's going to talk about that in a second. He means until the end times. They're sealed up for now. Um, it wouldn't do a lot of good to explain him details that he wouldn't understand anyway. He's done his job. You wrote it down, Daniel. You sealed it. You authenticated it. Move on. He's saying, go your way. Abandon that whole questioning thing. Be, uh, and this is a good lesson for you and I, be satisfied with the amount of information. Look at your Bible. Look how thick it is. It's a lot. That's a big book, isn't it? There's a lot in there. Don't ever say, I wish we had more. Why don't you just, why don't we study what we've got? Amen. The Bible, listen, is a supernatural book. I'll tell you, you can study every single chapter of every single book and get so much out of it. And then say to me, I got it. And I'll say, go study it again. And you study it again and you'll say, oh, this wasn't in there before, but it was, right? I've, I've gone through this. This is my first time through Daniel, but I've taught the New Testament at least twice, some books three times. Every single time there's new stuff in there, except it's not new. It's just I'm different than I was nine years ago when I taught Ephesians or whatever. And there's so much more there. So much. The Bible is a body of water. Have you ever heard this? It's so shallow and simple, salvation is, that a child can wade in and splash around. And yet it is so deep that the guy with the scuba gear that really goes to the deep depths can't find the bottom, right? It's a supernatural book. We talked about that last week. Okay. Go your way, Daniel. The words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Meaning what? that they will be opened up and unsealed at the time of the end. That's what's implied there, that there'll be great interest in this book, right? Christians and Jews. But he does, in grace, give them a little more information. Verse 10, many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise, who are enlightened, will understand. He's trying to comfort him. He's saying, it's not a total disaster. It may sound like it. It's going to be bad, but many, not all, but many will be purified. Okay. Now for a Jew right, hearing this, Daniel, or writing it down, or a Jew reading it up till the time of Christ, or even now that doesn't believe in Jesus, Purified must mean for them through the law, the keeping of the law and all the festivals and proper washing and kosher food and all those rules and regulations. Jesus comes along and says, you can't keep the law. You can't do it. That's what Matthew 5, 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. If you said, boil that all down for me, I would say it's this. This is God's perfect standard. And forget it. You can't do it. You need, to the Jews and Gentiles, you need a savior. Somebody that will live the perfect life on planet Earth that you were supposed to live and then die the horrible death that I deserve and offer me his righteousness in exchange for my garbage, my sin. By faith, we receive that news 
and it's awesome. So why do you mention all that, Joe? Because now go back to that verse. Many, verse 10, will be purified. You know as well as I do, that means cleansed of their sin. It means saved, redeemed. And you also know, don't you? Uh, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth. I'm not a way. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man, Jew, Gentile, orange, purple, green, brown, black, or white, comes to the Father except by Christ. Remember? Acts chapter uh, 4, I think it is. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. So when you read purified, remember this is the same God that wrote the New Testament. He knew then it was through the Messiah. Many will be purified, though, find Jesus Christ. Made spotless. How do you do that? Remember that all the Jewish sacrifices were coverings for sin, right? Passover. I'm bringing my lamb for my family. We're sacrificing the lamb. Our sins are covered. The lamb takes the punishment. The blood is sprinkled. Remember all that? Guess what? Next year, you know what has to happen again? We sin some more, another lamb. There's no purification. It's just all temporary in Judaism. In Christianity, many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. But the second half, the wicked will continue to be wicked. You read the newspaper? Do you watch the news? Amen. The, Ken went, nope, I don't. Many, uh, the wicked will continue to be wicked. And they will. It's their nature, isn't it? As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says they can't help themselves. They can try to be good. They can try to get off drugs, try to stop stealing or sleeping around or try to stop lying or whatever. They can't do it. Why is that? Because Ephesians 2, 1 says about unbelievers, you were, listen, dead spiritually in your trespasses and sins. Not sick spiritually, dead. A dead man can't repent. A dead man can't cry out to God unless God quickens that person, draws them. Many are called, few are chosen, you know. They can never do anything but be wicked. Same for you, same for me, except Christ touched your life and mine and changed us to where we not only don't want to do wickedness anymore, that we want to please our Savior, and he enables us to do so to the extent we submit and don't resist God and the Holy Spirit. Um, you know what? It's 10 up. Let's take our two-minute break to stretch our aging bones. Don't go far. I'm going to just pause my screen here, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. All right, we are back on Zoom and um, almost done with chapter 12, and then I got a little conclusion, and then we'll try to do these questions. I've got five or six questions people have emailed me to answer, and I'm kind of hoping we run out of time so I can't answer them. Okay. Back to the text. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, and you guys on Zoom, are you awake? All right, beautiful. Um, let's see. where we're, I'll grab my notes here. Okay, so... Um, those that are wise, the last phrase in verse 10, will understand. That is not so you and I can pat ourselves on the back and go, see, I was more spiritual. Christianity is not an IQ test. If it was, I wouldn't be here teaching, believe me. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he got free food. And the guy with the free bread 
is the guy that drew us, whether we know it or not. He chose you and drew you to himself. So that's no reason to put, pat yourself on the back being so wise. Verse 11. Oh, these two verses are tough. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. You say, wait a minute. I thought it was 1,260 days, which is three and a half years. Yes, it was. In the book of Revelation, it's spelled out 1,260 days. What is that from? From what to what? Okay, let's look at what he's saying here. Uh, and then we'll get to why is there 30 extra days. And just to make it worse, look at the next verse. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. That's another 45 days. Okay, let me just warn you right now. All I'm going to do is tell you what the commentators said, and they're all guessing because it doesn't tell us. Why is there an extra 30 and then another 45 days? I'm going to tell you the best guesses, but the word of God doesn't tell us. Okay, just wanted to warn you about that. Okay, so here's the time marker. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished, stop right there. You say, what's that? Antichrist comes to power. We learn this from Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, and uh, Matthew 24. Okay, the Antichrist comes to power and makes a deal with the Jewish people. You can rebuild your temple. You can start your sacrifice again. You can worship in your temple. Go for it. I'm the friend of Jews. And they're going to think, oh, this guy is the greatest, this Antichrist guy. They won't call him Antichrist, right? Um, and they'll be doing sacrifices there and worshiping God. And then eventually, the Antichrist, about three and a half years in, in the tribulation, says, stop no more sacrifice, no more worship, no more prayer here to your Yahweh God, your Jewish God. Stop. It's my world. Worship me, Antichrist says. That is the abomination that causes desolation. We've seen it in history. We talked about that in Daniel several chapters ago with uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. He sacrificed a pig on the altar and sprinkled the blood of the pig on the altar because pigs are not kosher. You know that. He forced the uh, priests to eat the pork and and all sacrifice stopped. He was a forerunner to or a picture of the coming Antichrist who's way worse. This guy, Antichrist, breaks his covenant and stops the daily sacrifice. Read chapter 13 of Revelation for more on the Antichrist. Uh, we did that the last three or four weeks. From the time the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, that's him proclaiming himself to be God, and his false prophet sets up some kind of an image, statue, 3D video thing. I don't know what it is, but it's of the Antichrist and he's able to speak and punish people. And in the temple in Jerusalem, which he will make his headquarters, from the time of that, there will be 1290 days. You say, okay, the 1260 days we already know about, that is by all accounts put together Revelation, Matthew 24, the 1260 days, listen, is the second coming of the Lord Jesus. We can say that categorically. So Christ comes back, takes, captures Satan and binds him for a thousand years. 
um, takes the Antichrist and he's thrown into the lake of fire. Christ resurrects all the believers. What's the 30 days for? Okay, I already warned you. I don't know. And every commentator that I read, if they were honest, said the same thing. We may postulate, we may suggest that, but nobody could provide. Here's a scripture that backs it up. So the theories are the extra 30 days is for the judgment of a whole world worth of people. Okay. Could God do that in seven days or six days like he made the world? Seems to me. Maybe there's a lot of sins for some people. For me, they would have been there five weeks going, okay, chapter 11 of Joe's sins. I don't know what the 30 days are for. Some say it's to, to um, teach the Jews and set up his government. There's just so many theories. I wish I could be more honest with you uh, or more forthcoming with information, but I don't know. And every commentator I read said the same thing. We're just not sure. What's those extra 30 days for? But in the context of the chapter, which is about the Jews, it wouldn't surprise me if the 30 days has to do with the Jews. And then verse 12, blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1335 days. That's another 45 days on top of the extra 30. What's that for? We're not told. And so what do we do? We do what Daniel did, right? Um, I have a question. What will the outcome of all this be? What's these extra days? And you know what God probably says to you and me? Go your way, Joe. The book is sealed for now. It'll make more sense at the end. Okay. And that, by the way, is good enough for me. I have witnessed to people in my life that say, I have so many questions. And I'm a guy that I had a lot of questions when I came to Christ. And I had a guy that is now a pastor in San Diego, Steve Murray. He answered my questions over a whole summer. We would stay up till three in the morning. What about this? What about this? What about? And he had answers. Even he couldn't answer this question. We have to be content with the knowledge that we have. Amen. Um, so I have no doubt, though, that when the end times come, we're going to see those 30 days and, and go, oh, and then we're going to see the 45 days making 1335 and go, ah, right now, that's the best I can do. Verse 13, this is for all of you and Daniel. As for you, go your way. No, wait, don't leave. We still got a question and answer thing. I have to stall for that. As for you, go your way till the end end. He's talking about the end of Daniel's life. How do you know that? Read the next phrase. You will rest, meaning you'll die. Then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Is that beautiful or what? That's how this book ends. He's saying the time's going to come. You'll rest, meaning you'll die. Your body will rest the Bible uses the word sleep as a metaphor for, metaphor for death. The body appears to be asleep, right? You'll rest. And then at the end of the days, that's when you'll rise. This is parallel to, this is going to sound like it comes from left field. Stay with me on this. The thief on the cross. Why do you say that? Thief on the cross is the only person in the New Testament that Jesus says, you're saved. It's the only one. Truly, I tell you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Remember that? 
doesn't tell that to Peter, John, James, anybody else. They are saved, don't get me wrong. He tells Daniel, you're going to rise. Oh, but wait, what if there was a period after rise? Daniel would be up all night going, am I one of the ones that's going to rise to shame and everlasting contempt or to, he tells him, for your allotted inheritance. Who gets an inheritance? The kids of the king, right? The kids of the guy with the money. That's God, right? We have an inheritance. We have a future resurrection coming. Okay, a brief conclusion about Daniel, and then we're going to move on to the Q&A. Oh, darn, we're out of time. We can't do it. Just kidding. Okay, so what about this book of Daniel? Those of you, some of you were here for the whole study. Some of you only certain weeks. Some of you just popped in tonight, whatever. Here's what I call the so what's of Daniel. And there's probably others you can think of. But when you study a book, you ought to look at the vast scope of it and decide what can I learn in 2021 from this book and put into practice. Number one, Daniel and his three friends, remember in the early chapters? There they are. They're teenagers. They're in a foreign pagan land. And the pagan land has the goal to uh, inoculate them and make them into pagans. Forget your Jewish religion, compromise your faith. When in Rome, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. And Daniel and his friends never, ever compromise, not one bit. It gets them into a fiery furnace. It gets them into a lion's den. It gets them into other problems, doesn't it? But God comes through. He honors that kind of faith and greatly blesses them, doesn't he, in their lives. But they never compromised. You and I are just the same way. We're not captive in America or wherever we are. We got people in other countries on Zoom, but we're behind enemy lines, right? Most of the world is not Christians, right? Most of the world is secular. The United States government is very secular. If you're a teacher and you try to teach the Bible or Jesus Christ in school, they treat it like it's pornography and the name of Jesus is like a four-letter word. You'd be in big trouble in most schools in America. Our government, we're taking God out of everything. We're behind enemy lines. There's great pressure for us as believers come on, compromise. That's an old book. It's outdated. Morals have changed in, in the world. Amen. They have. Mine haven't. God says, I change not, right? We need to be like Daniel and his friends on, and never compromise. But here's the next thing. Daniel and his friends knew what they believed and why they believed it. What do you mean? They knew the scriptures. It's clear right? You and I, unless we know what we believe and why we believe it scripturally and are able to back it up, we're liable to hear weird doctrines and go, well, it does sound pretty good, right? We're all gods. And oh, I, I like that. I don't have to take out the garbage. Is that what you're saying? Listen, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. That doesn't mean from my lips or your pastor's lips necessarily, unless they're teaching God's word. You have the Bible, you ought to be diving in more and more. Number three, Daniel was a man of regular habitual habit prayer. Not now and then, but always praying for his country, for his friends, for foreign leaders that weren't 
um, believers for himself. We ought to be doing the same. Daniel was a very humble man. He had great gifts to be able to um, for, uh, explain what visions and prophecies were meant, visions and dreams of other leaders, remember Nebuchadnezzar and others, never took the credit. It's all God. Human governments, to one degree or another, this is what Daniel, the book of Daniel teaches, are all, listen, corrupt. They're all bad to one degree or another. Well, I'm a Democrat. Well, I'm a Republican. Listen, that's great. We ought to be involved in our culture and in our politics. But human governments, don't put your faith in them, in human leaders. What's coming is a world where Jesus Christ will reign on the earth. That's the government to put your stock in. Amen. You still awake? Okay. Okay. Uh, human governments. Okay. In the lion's dens and fiery furnaces of life, I don't mean Daniel's, I mean yours, and you're probably not going to ever be in a lion's den literally, but you ever had health problems, money problems, marriage problems, relationship problems? Do I need to go on? We get into those lion's dens and fiery furnaces. Christ is there with us in those places. That's what, that's what happened in Daniel. That's the takeaway for you and me. Forget that and keep your eyes on the lion or the fire. You're in trouble. Remember that. And the fire and the lions don't harm you. They're just little kitty cats, right? Um, casting all our cares upon him because he cares for you. Okay, two more and then we're done. Israel faced heavy consequences for not being faithful, for slacking, for becoming pagan, for becoming like the society. Don't do it, right? There's great pressure to do it. Don't do it. Be careful what you watch on television. There's not much good on that little box in your house. Um, the hope of all believers is resurrection, right? There's hope in this life as well. Don't get me wrong. But the death rate is still one per person. And if that's the end, is that all there is? Is what I would say. But there's, it's not all there is. Not even close. Eternal life, resurrection um, is what's ahead for us. So that's the book of Daniel. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I learned a whole lot. Now, we don't have a ton of time left. Darn. But we have some questions. Okay, so here goes. How much time do we have? Oh, 23 minutes. Okay, quickly, I'll try. Some of these are easy, and two or three of these are so hard, we could take a month on these. Um, let's see. Questions about the millennium. Satan is bound for the thousand years. Okay, so here's the question. Who's populating the millennium? Okay, is it all believers? Because if it is, and there's a rebellion at the end, and some go with Satan, which is what happens, Revelation 20, then did believers lose their salvation? Or were there some unbelievers there? Was, was anybody having kids that were born? You understand the question? Let's just skip that and go to the next one. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, short answers. Um, and it's hard to be short with this. Who's going to populate the millennium? Number one, all believing Jews, whether they died before the time of Christ, or they live through the tribulation or died during the tribulation, all believing Jews will populate the millennium. All believing Christians, 
same thing. We'll populate the millennium. We will be, we will have our resurrected, glorified bodies, unable to die, sin, get sick, get injured, right? No more death, mourning, crying, or pain, all of that. Okay. I also believe um, that we will not be able to have children then. Some scholars think no Christians can have children then. It's possible. Again, we don't know. Okay. Are there any unbelievers that enter the millennium? The answer is in Zechariah, and we don't have a lot of time, Zechariah 14, 12 to 18. Okay. It's talking about the end times. I'm going to give you the short version. About those, the nations that fight against Jerusalem. This is the battle of Armageddon you've heard about. God takes it seriously that these people are coming against his people. This is a little gross, okay? Be thankful we don't have any visual aids. What's God going to do to those nations that attack Israel? Quote, their flesh will rot while they're standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets. Their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, people will be stricken by the Lord with great panic. Okay, I'm moving on in the same chapter. And it, what happens after that? And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, who came against Jerusalem? All the nations, unbelievers, right? They're against God's people. Some are left. Um, shall even go up year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. They're going into the millennium in their fleshly bodies. We are supposed to reign with Christ in the millennium. If it's all believers, we're all reigning over each other. We have to reign over somebody. It's the nations, those that survive the tribulation. Okay, there's no resurre resurrection of sinners yet. That's at the end of the millennium. But those people will be able to have children. That explains how there can be a rebellion at the end of the thousand years. The Bible speaks of some people that lifespans will be like they are in early. And you ever read in early Genesis first six or seven, eight chapters? So-and-so lived to be 963 years. And you go, wow. That's how it's going to be. People will live a long time repopulating. Um, the earth. That's, can they um, receive Christ? I don't know why not. I don't know why they wouldn't be able to receive Christ. Some probably will, many will not. Can they still sin? The question was in this um, thing from, I'll just use the initials KR. Thanks for this hard question, whoever you are, KR, who's here tonight. Anyway, Satan's bound, so can they still sin? Listen, the three enemies of the Christian is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, the devil's out of the picture. He's bound for a thousand years, but we still got the fleshly desires of the unbelievers. Christians won't be able to sin, but absolutely unbelievers can still sin. Jesus will punish sin much more quickly and fairly than our governments do now. Um, so yes, I also think they'll be able to die, but the lifespans will be longer. Isaiah 65 talks about that. Um, and have children. I believe that they will. Yes. Um, so that's the short answer to a very tough question. But KR, whoever you are, you get an A for that one. Um, let's see. Next question. I'm trying to go fast. We got 19 minutes. What happens at death for a believer? Okay. We are like God in that we're made in his image. We're not gods. Don't misquote me, but we are a trinity. 
body, soul, spirit. You've heard those terms? We're going to define them tonight. And I'm going to show you one of those is physical, your body. The other two are not, your soul and your spirit. Imagine a circle this big and it's body. Got it? Inside the circle, smaller, a second circle, soul. Inside that circle, much, 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 much smaller, spirit. Keep that in the back of your mind. That'll be on the test in a moment. Just kidding. Okay. Um, body, soul, and spirit. How do you know that? First Thessalonians 5, 23. I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body will be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Body, soul, spirit. The Virgin Mary said, my soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. I won't bore you with the other verses, but um, I can include this in the notes that I send at no extra charge if you order now. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, we already talked about that. Okay. What's the, the body, you know what that is, right? The body is what's going to die, right? Walter Martin used to say the death rate for humans is one per person. We're all going to make it. Every human being dies of their last injury or their last sickness. There's no exceptions. And yes, old age is a sickness. I hope you all live to be 120. Okay, what's the soul? We know what the body is. What's the soul? The soul has the idea of your mind, will, and emotions. It's the real you. Think of a computer. Hard, hardware, the computer. Software. You can't weigh software, but it's in there, isn't it? Your soul is the real you, your will, your mind, your emotions, um, imagination, conscience, memory, reason, affections. By the way, no other creature is created with this kind of a um, soul that a human being has. The Bible speaks of us having a soul and even being a soul. God breathes into the, the breath of the nostril, sorry, of Adam, and he became a, a life, a, a living soul. Sorry, I'm trying to rush too much. Okay, that's what a, the soul is. What's the spirit then? Both immaterial, okay? Body's physical, soul, spirit aren't. The soul, I'm sorry, the spirit is, um, let's see, the spirit is the only part of you that can believe in God, relate to God, worship God. How many know it's possible to worship God in the flesh? Going through the motions and look at everybody, look at me. And it's not, they that believe must believe in, uh, that worship in spirit and in truth, John 4. Do you remember that? Okay. Um, so the spirit is the, the faculties of a human being that can have faith, hope, reverence, worship, prayer, okay? That part of you that is spiritual, spiritual that can transcend the, the dimensions we live in and worship and commune with God. You with me so far? Um, we already talked about that. Okay, so I still haven't answered any of these questions and I'm running out of time and I'm trying to talk as fast as possible. Um, okay, so... Uh, listen to this, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Interesting. Okay. What happens at a believer's death? That was the question. You still remember? Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay. Body, soul, spirit. That's you. That's me. God forbid 
we'll, we won't use me or any of you. We'll make up this guy over here, Harold Johnson over here. Okay. And he's a Christian and he has a heart attack and he drops dead and they can't revive him. And, and even um, Dave, who's a paramedic, can't bring him back. Okay. Where's his body on the ground getting cold, right? They're going to say nice things about him in a few weeks and put him in a box or burn his body. That's the body. What happened to the soul and the spirit of Harold, who was a believer? The Bible in two places at least says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Instantly, Harold uh, dropped over, poof, went right. I didn't study acting, can you tell? Harold, Harold dies and his spirit and soul, the immaterial part of him, go instantly into the presence of the Lord instantly. Paul says, I, I, I'm torn. I want to remain here and help you people, but I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Absent from the body, <clears throat> present with the Lord. You with me? At the second a person dies, the soul and the spirit go to be with God, okay? The body goes into the grave, why a resurrection? We're already with Jesus because in Christianity, unlike most other religions, the body really matters. Okay. That's why there's a resurrection. Christ will bring with him. This is one of the Thessalonian books. I can't remember if it's first. I think it's second with him. All those people. Okay. Harold, was that his name? Died. Okay. And let's say the second coming is nine months from now. Okay. No, I'm not picking dates. Christ will return at the second coming with Harold, soul and spirit, and my parents who are both believers and my sister-in-law and my cousin Shirley and other friends I've had that have died that were believers, they're all coming back. And when they get here, out of the grave will come the body of Harold. And like a hand in a glove, the soul and spirit will go back into the body, which will be recreated. You say, but there's probably nothing left. Some people died 4,000 years ago. You think God doesn't know the DNA of every person and can't remake him? So he'll come back the same way. No. Harold was 88 years old. He was very sick always. He was weak. Harold's going to come out with a, a body that can never be sick, die, injured, okay? A glorified body. The, the soul and the spirit go back into the body. They rise out of the grave. That's what happens when somebody dies. I hope that answers the question. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at the rest of my notes here. Um, we won't get into unbelievers because I don't have enough time and I want to do these other questions. Can the dead people that have died see us? Anybody, you had somebody die that you know that was a believer and, you know, are they watching us? There's a verse in uh, Hebrews that talks about a great cloud of witnesses that, you know, they, that they're spurring us on, so to speak. Okay. Everything I could read about this is the answer is no, they can't see us. Okay. They're in heaven. They're with God. Okay. Number one, it's a joyful place. If my mom could see me struggling with sin or bummed out or crying, yeah, she'd be going, <laughs> right, Jeff said. It wouldn't be that great for my mom and dad to see that, right? I don't believe they can watch us. They're watching over us. Are they? Biblically, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think you can make that case. Um, 
But the cloud of witnesses is spurring us on because they lived godly lives and they're in glory. It's as if they're metaphorically saying, you can do it too. But are they watching every moment of our lives? I don't believe that they are. Um, the whole point of that passage is to say, let's throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that easily entangles us and run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's what that scripture is talking about, Hebrews. Um, so I don't believe dead people can see us. Okay, this is the other really hard question. Okay, open your Bible to uh, Psalm 17. Go there real quickly. So right roughly in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 17. This is one of those passages that is very, very, very hard to translate. And Susan over in Gilroy Morgan Hill um, is the one that sent me this question. And I almost wish I didn't open the email. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so here it is. It's Psalm 17 is talking about, look at, pick it up in verse 13. Rise up, O Lord. This is a, a believer asking, praying to God, please protect us from these evil people and punish them. Okay, that's the context. Rise up, O Lord, confront them, bring them down, rescue me from the wicked by your sword. Okay, here comes the problem passage, verse 14. O Lord, by your hand, this is NIV, save me from such men, from men of this world whose reward is in this life. You still the hunger of those you cherish. Their sons have plenty and they store up wealth for their children. Now, okay, say, now the problem is NIV translates it uh, a little differently than what I just had, uh, actually. May what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies. May their children gorge themselves on it. May there be leftovers for their little ones. In other words, um, he's almost saying it sarcastically that they, the wicked, count so much the wealth of the world and their children, they don't look beyond the, the physical world. And he's saying, yeah, give them all they want of that stuff, but um, save me from them. Okay, English Standard Version, from men of, of, by your hand, Lord, of the world whose portion is this life, you fill their womb with treasure and they are satisfied with children. Okay, the bottom line on this passage is the construction of the Hebrew is such. Remember, Hebrew has, maybe you don't know this, no vowels, no punctuation. So R-B-N in English could be Robin. It could be a Reuben sandwich. Okay, um, that's just an example. This is one of those sentences where, or passages where it's very hard to decide whether they're saying their belly is filled um, or is it the bellies of believers, depending on which translation you have. Um, they are full of children, which is a very awkward phrase. Bottom line on this is, I think what he's saying is, um, rescue me from these men, uh, such evil people, um, whose reward is in this life only, meaning they're rich, they're powerful. Bill Gates, his reward is in this life only, unless he becomes a believer, who knows, right? Um, and, uh, and, and the, to me, the key is in verse 15. It says, and I, or some translations have, but I, that makes me think, 
he's contrasting I, a believer, from the wicked that he was talking about in 13 and 14. I in righteousness will see your face. When I awake, see this resurrection again, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Anyway, tough one. Um, Psalm 17. Um, okay, uh, we already talked about that. Okay, one more, and we're, we may get this done. Um, Claire, who joins our Bible study, my wife and I knew Claire a million years ago in the 70s in Santa Cruz, and she lives in Vanuatu. And if you know where that is on a map, you're a lot smarter than I am. But anyway, it's, you know, down there, Australia, that kind of that general area. Um, she and her husband live there. She asked, what are your sources for when you do this Bible study? Where do you get all this um, information? Okay, so the short answer is I used to buy books, commentaries, okay? And I have a whole shelf full of them, a couple shelves. Now, almost everything's free on the internet. You want to dive into the Bible deeper than just the Bible or the notes at the bottom. And you can read commentaries by people that have PhDs and are way smarter than you and me. I go to, um, and if anybody wants the actual links, I can send them to you. But John MacArthur, how many know who he is? Just an amazing scholar. I don't agree with him on every single thing. Certainly don't agree with him on the rapture, but never mind that. Okay, on his website, there's something like 12,000 sermons you can listen to or watch free. And the text is there. You can read the text or, or listen to it or both. I definitely go there. I go to a guy named Thomas Constable's commentary, David Guzik, who's a guy in Texas. Bob Deffenbaugh is a guy in Texas. It's interesting because they don't all agree. And I like that. Different. Why does he believe this? Sometimes I throw some things out. Sometimes I explain to you, I don't know. He could be right, or he could be right, or these other people could be right. Um, John Piper, sometimes I use. Ray Stedman, I used to go to his church in Palo Alto. Um, then there's a site called BibleGateway.com. If you don't go, haven't gone there, you should go there. The whole Bible is online. In any translation you want, you just click which one you want. You can even click the little speaker and it'll read to you, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you can put it on while you're doing something in the house. It's wonderful. Um, if you have questions, the best site I have found is gotquestions.org. It is excellent. Gotquestions.org. You type in... Revelation 5, 13, or you type in what happens to people when they die, or who is the Antichrist, or generally, it's been very, very uh, a, a good site. Um, timely sermons, okay? I'm going to, some people aren't going to like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. There's a guy in Southern California, um, Chino Hills, um, and his name is Jack Hibbs. Has anybody heard of him, Jack Hibbs, or listened to him? Some of you are really nodding yes. Okay, Christian guy. He is uh, Calvary Chapel um, in his theology. Nothing wrong with that. It's legit. But he mixes biblical sermons with current event stuff saying we can't ignore what they're doing with the children here or with the government has just done this and kind of combines both. Some of you are nodding. Yes, you've listened and, and you like them. So that's one. She asked about that as well. Um, so the bottom line is we 
are living in some pretty amazing times. Through this Daniel study, the question I've got asked the most is, is this it? Are we living in the last days? I don't know. Every generation has thought, this is it, <laughs> right? And folks that are now in heaven, that when I started this Bible study 30, almost 31 years ago, told me that they, they would be like 110 now, told me that they remember in World War II that the common belief among Christians was Hitler's the Antichrist. This is it. He's persecuting Jews. He's in Europe. Um, Mussolini's the false uh, is the false prophet. All of that. Every generation has thought this is it, but it might be, right? The point is keep your eyes on Christ, your head in the Bible, and in prayer constantly, and we don't have to worry, right? Um, anyway, we're out of time. Whew. Uh, is all I can say. Some really hard questions, but thank you for those of you that sent them in. Uh, I'm teasing when I say I hope I didn't, I wish I didn't open your email. I think that's all of them. Yeah, that is. We're going to close with prayer. Last thing. This is the most important thing. Are you ready? Next week, we start a new study on the book of John, the gospel of John. One of my, if not my favorite book to teach. I've been through it at least twice. Listen, this is a great book to invite someone who's not a Christian or who is a Christian that doesn't go to church much or that does go to church and studies a lot. This book is awesome. Please be thinking if somebody you and you guys on Zoom can invite for this study. It's a great time to jump in. It's chapter one and chapter one starts with an explosion, not the other Gospels are so different from John. We'll talk about it next week. But think about somebody that you can invite. Send them the link and go, would you like to join this Bible study? Or show up in person if you live in the uh, Oakhurst area. Okay, let's pray and we'll get out of here. Thank you so much for being here and, and studying Daniel with us. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful to you that you didn't leave us in the dark. You gave us some good sketches about what will come in the future, Father. And we're blown away by the accuracy we're blown away by the love that's shown. And although there's hard times ahead and a tribulation time, whatever our lot in life is, if we're alive at that time, God, we know that you will protect us, that you'll guide us, that your spirit will help us to see through any antichrist or false doctrine, but help us to be in prayer and in your word on a daily basis, studying and being watchful. But Help us to also recognize in the meantime that we want you to use us for your glory, to witness, to be bold, to serve in our churches. We're so thankful, God, that there is a resurrection and that future for every single Christian is absolutely glorious, all because of your son, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and honor forever and ever. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for being here, and thank you on Zoom. We'll see you on Tuesday. God bless. Thank you.